This morning, I'm going to talk about something that, for me, is, is an outworking of my life, in, in some ways, an outworking of, of my understanding of what God calls us to. And um, I, I've not actually spoken on this topic before in, in, in faith life, which is really surprising, uh, given my background in business and advising people in business and all the rest of it. But I'm going to talk about uh, work. Like, was that it? That's the enthusiasm. I'm going to talk about work. You see, the thing about work is it fills most of your life. You're, you're at work a lot more than you're at church or you're at home. Well, when you are at home, you're probably asleep a lot of the time, having been tired after work. And, and yet, it's something that, that God has a lot to say on, but the church says very little about. And my experience um, throughout most of my life in, in pursuing a career was that, that the church had very little to say to me about what that went and how it all worked out. And because of that, I, I ended up with a lot of things that just didn't add up. Um, and I think for a lot of us, it's that um, disjoin between what happens on a Sunday morning and what happens on the rest of the week. And we can't get the two to fit together. So we, we, we might leave church um, thinking, well, you know, I really want to be sold out for God. I want to live my life for God. And yet, by Monday morning, we're thinking something totally different from that, which is how do I survive till Friday night? Um, and if we work shifts, we haven't even got that luxury. We're going like, oh, what day am I on? Um, and, the, and there is this, there's this disjoint. And it, and it came to really a, a head for me a number of years ago, for those who, who don't know my history, I, I was a, a fairly senior partner in one of the global consulting firms. And one of my specialisms, well, the specialism that, that I practised as opposed to what I headed up in management terms, was that I was a tax advisor. Now, there was a time when being a tax advisor was very popular. Now, it's not so popular. Um, the, the world has changed. But I used to invent tax planning schemes. So much so that, that two of the tax planning schemes I actually uh, came up with or dreamt up were actually uh, blocked by name in budget speeches by Gordon Brown when he was Chancellor of the Exchequer. So I got two mentions in budget speech, not by name, but by, like, I'm, I'm going to block this, this, this thing that's saving people lots of money. And, you see, there was a disjoint for me between how do, how do I work out the reality of the kingdom in the rest of my life? And for most of us, that involves doing our job well. Now, we should always do our jobs really well. We should be the best we can be at our jobs and in our careers. So I'm not going to say anything different to, to that basic principle. But 
there's still something that doesn't add up. And for me, I was traveling on train into London and I was looking out the window, as you do, thinking, you know, this isn't very comfortable, you know, squashed up against somebody else's armpit. And, and I was there and, and all of a sudden, I, I didn't hear this audible voice, but I, I really felt just with an absolute clarity that, that God was showing me me stood before him in heaven and, and giving an account of my life. And he said, he said to me, what, what, what did you give your life to? And I, and, and I remember I'm just stood there and going, and I'm thinking, this is not a good answer. That I am, and it came out of my mouth, God, I gave my life to saving rich people tax. And, and for that point, things didn't add up for me because I was doing my job really well. In fact, I was probably one of the best at my job in the UK. But it didn't add up how that related to the kingdom. And for most of us, that's the case. We, we, we don't understand how what we do during the week in our, in our workplace, in our careers, in our businesses, in our studies, relates to the kingdom. And because of that, somehow we, we end up approaching our belief and our faith actually from the wrong angle. And, and it's that disjoin that is responsible for many of the things that, that stop the church and stop the body of Christ functioning in the way it's intended. You see... In, in the New Testament, you know, after the victory of Christ, there are still a whole load of believers who are involved in business and work. Life didn't change in that way. You know, becoming a Christian doesn't get you out of work. You might think, well, that's a real bummer, but it just doesn't get you out of work. It doesn't get you out of a career. God doesn't intend that to be the case. He intends you to do something different and see something different in what you're doing every day. And it, it's part of a whole. Now, I've been talking previously to this. In fact, I, I did for a while contemplate this being a continuation of that series that I've just finished called Shift. These were parts six, seven, and eight or whatever. But then I thought, you know, I'd follow the principle that they do like in, in the movies or, or in magazine publication or like, and we'd have a reboot after five issues and start a new one. So, but that doesn't make this any less of a paradigm shift, a, a shift in the way of our thinking. And the shift is this, and, and there's a biblical principle that I'm going to unpack for you over the next few weeks, which is this. Work is the principal form of worship. You're going, no way, no way, worship, this is, we just don't worship. No, work is the principal form of worship. Because worship is laying down your life for the glory of Christ. And the most of the time you spend, you are spending at work. And if you disjoin that from the work, the, the, the life of worship for the glory of Christ, we have a, a, a faulty understanding of the way we approach most of our lives. Now, worship in the New Testament 
is very different from that in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they had all this stuff like uh, rituals and sacrifices and harps and trumpets and all the rest of it and, and bells on, on the bottom of big flowing gowns that the priests used to wear. And they used to go through all the rituals. Now, we've imported that. I mean, not so much in the way we do church here at Faith Life, but in the body of Christ, we've imported a lot of that. And we still have this Old Testament mentality about what worship is, which it's, it's going through the rituals. Even us as, as, as a new type of church, you know, um, not traditional church with the old building with the, the roof that leaks, we're not that sort of church, but even our type of church, we have our own rituals. We have our own way of doing things. Um, and we're pretty similar from week to week, you know, because we like to understand what we're signing up for, you know, and, and we like to, and, and part of being able to uh, relax and open to God is feeling comfortable with what we're doing and not, not being thrown by everything. But the truth is that we don't have to go through those rituals or ways of doing things to worship God or relate to God. You see, Christ, when he died for us, he opened up the path so that we could stand directly in God's presence. And in that sense, that, that path, that, that, that um, ability to stand in God's presence is there 24-7. And... What the Bible says is that we actually inhabit two realms, this kingdom, this reality on earth, and we are seated also with Christ in heavenly places, and, and we operate between the two realms. Now, that's a big thing, and I've been talking about that over the summer, and I'm not going to go over it again, but the, the, the truth is that we, we live our lives in the presence of God. Because there's nothing between us and God anymore. Sin was removed. Christ dealt with it. He paid the price for our sin. So we live our lives in the presence of God. The difference is whether we have an awareness of that presence when we're not directly in a meeting. That he's going, let's focus on God. And in the New Testament, whatever we do was meant to be in the presence of God because we, we live in his kingdom, and, and the reality is that, not that God's not there, the reality is that he's there 24-7. The question is whether we, are do, whether we are living with an awareness of that presence and that, that kingdom in which we live. And that, that carries over and, and shifts our understanding of what we're doing in the workplace. Okay, that, that, that's the big leap for this morning. Now I'm going to unpack it for you and make it a bit simpler, hopefully, and show you. You see, in the Old Testament, worship was all about uh, ritual, orders of service, ways of doing things, progressions, formality, uh, priest leading, worship leaders leading, and people just following and going through the motions. In the New Testament... And this is, this is where we have to make the leap because we slip back into that way of thinking all the time. But in the New Testament, worship is actually defined as lifestyle. Your worship is your life. And so worship is lifestyle. 
you can't turn it on and off. You either worshiping or you're rejecting or becoming unaware, you know, not, not bothering. But the truth is, your life is an act of worship in the New Testament. Don't relieve me. Let's look at Romans 12, verse 1. I often talk about the, the next verse, but let's just focus on 12, verse 1 for the moment. This is Paul speaking to the church in Rome, and he says this, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship or your reasonable service of worship. That means that if you think about, the reason he says reasonable service of worship is means if you think about it, this is the only way you can live in the light of what Christ did for you. Because he purchased that your freedom, he purchased your life and when you became a believer, you made him Lord of your life. And so what Paul is saying is the only reasonable conclusion you can come to from that is to lay down that life as an act of worship. So our, our laying down of our lives, when we, not when we're here on a Sunday morning, because we're all pretty keen on laying down our lives on a Sunday morning or a, a church prayer meeting or whatever, but the rest of the week, our act of worship is to lay down our lives for the glory of God. So God is in the business right now for us of shifting our ways of thinking and way, way, our mindset to a position where we start to see that what we do the rest of the week has value because it is an act of worship. And it is also a representation of the kingdom in the world in which we live. Let me... Just unpack that for you a bit further. Go to Colossians 3.23. Same person, Paul, talking to a different church. Whatever you do, do your work heartedly as to the Lord rather than for men. Whatever you do, do it as to the Lord, not for men. You could skim over that because it's in the middle of quite a long thing that he's saying. But the question for me that I, I faced in a lot of my career, what, once I, I saw that, is, is what I am doing for the Lord or is it for men? Am I working because... I want to um, do things really well for his glory, or am I working for my career to put food on the table and to, to, to pay off my debts and all the rest of it? Now, that's not to say that putting food on the table and paying off the debts isn't the reality. It is. But if that's the driver... We are enslaved to the debt. We are enslaved to the workplace. We are enslaved to the people we're working for. And it's no wonder we don't like what we're doing. And, and God 
the, the death of Christ was to set us free from that enslavement to men, to the lifestyle it says, and, and, and where we are driven by getting money in order to do things. And God says, no, 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 no. Seek first the kingdom of God and all the rest follows. So your, your mindset on a Monday morning, 9 a.m., is I'm going to go in here and do everything for the glory of God. And that releases the kingdom, which is the solution for the debt and the food on the table and the clothes and the, the wife at home and the kids who need things and all the rest of it. But the mindset is do it for the glory of God. And if, if we do that, we'd feel a whole lot different about what we do the rest of the week. Now, where do we get problems as Christians? And, and the reason I'm taking a few weeks on this is I'm going to have to unravel a lot of the ways we see things and we think about things because it basically took me 30-odd years of, of, of career in business to unravel this for myself. So I'm unravelling it for you. So it's, I'm not going to be able to do it in a week. And if you, if you don't actually think about it once you walk out of here, it ain't going to work either because it took me 30 years. So, and, and whilst I not, might not be the sharpest um, whatever on the block, it'll still take you more than a couple of weeks or three weeks if you don't think about it again except when you're here. Where's the problem? The problem is this, that if we leave work out of our worship, if we don't equate work with being for the glory of God, then what we do is we reduce worship to like a sporadic activity that occurs on a Sunday morning in part of the meeting and a little bit on a Wednesday night at the prayer meeting and in, this, in the case of this week on Tuesday night at filling station. And, and it, it's a sporadic thing that, that happens at little intervals in our life. And, and when we downgrade worship to that, when we downgrade all the other forms of worship, the, the laying down of our life, what happens is this. We have an outcome. And the outcome is that we become Sunday meeting orientated. And we fail to connect the Sunday meeting with what happens in the rest of the week. Because for us, worship is something that takes place only here. And that gives us a really rubbish view of Sunday morning meetings. It doesn't just affect our work life, it affects our, our motives in coming here. And, and I'll explain that in a minute. But the problem exists because we have split our relationship with God and the way we view church and the whole rest of it between two dimensions. We have, we have words for those two dimensions. One word is clergy or pastoral ministry. The other word is laity or people who are in the workplace. And the clergy, the pastoral ministry, they, they're here, so 
in this case, let's say me and Cheryl and Roger and Olive, we're here to look after the horizontal, uh, the vertical dimension. So we're trained in theory in the vertical dimension. In the, you know, um, we ministers acquire knowledge. They go off to Bible school and, and all that sort of thing, and and they work through all these wonderful things like. Uh, that, that nobody really understands until you very, very had it explained to you in detail in a very boring sermon somewhere. Words like atonement and redemption and propitiation and all those sort of things. And, and ministers get all excited about that because everybody else thinks that's the minister's job. And he's the one that goes off to study it all and that he's, he's like super spiritual and hopefully... Uh, he, he, will, he will do the business for you that makes you feel a bit better about the rest of the week because you know you've had your spiritual dose on the Sunday morning because he's looking after that vertical dimension. The problem is that, that for, this doesn't apply here, but we're an odd church. Just turn to the person next to you. Say, we're in odd church and I'm loving it. <laughs> you see, I can, count, I can count on less than the fingers of one hand the number of ministers that I know in the UK who've had any experience at all apart from working in a church. And... The result of that is it creates an us and them mentality. Like, I'm the spiritual guy. I'm the one who works in the church. I'm the one who's in paid ministry. I'm vocational. You see, I, I spent 26 years in Korea, and, and longer than that if you count university and all the rest of it, before I ever did any ministry. So that's why we're in odd church. Just turn to the person next to you and say, I always knew Mark was odd. Yeah, 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 you can be quiet, Bob. <laughs> okay. You see, that mindset means that it's often difficult to apply what the church talks about to situations outside the church. You see, we are great at talking about situations in the church and and understanding how church works and church grows and, and church ministers and all that sort of stuff. But it creates this us and them mentality. Because what it does is it creates the impression that there is people who are more spiritual because they work in the church than those who don't work in the church. I've got news for you. If that is true, we, are, we have a serious problem. Because only 1%, less than 1% of Christians actually work in any form of vocational ministry at all. So tough luck, 99.3% of you, because you're less spiritual. But that's the illusion we create. And, and for me, in my career, I believed that for a long time. I, I believed that I was in a second-class profession. Even though I was really successful at it, I believed that, that one day I could aspire to be a proper spiritual person. And... And I never did. Because it's wrong thinking. You see, coffee machine, 10.25 Monday morning, 
It's just can and should be just as spiritual as 1025 start of service here. It should. But it's not because we have no expectation of it because we've created this myth that it's somehow more spiritual to be involved in pulpit ministry or pastoral ministry or clergy than it is in laity. You know, we even have lay people who were authorised to do spiritual things. Uh, there was a time when we were in a, in a more traditional church where I was a lay person authorised to dispense communion and I had to go on a course to be able to dispense communion because there's this separation that we've created. I just want to say that what I do here right now is no is either, it, it might be spiritual, but it, it has no more potential to be spiritual than what you do on a Wednesday afternoon. You can neither do it spiritually or not spiritually. Now, what does it produce for the people, the laity? It produces a, a wrong thinking there. Because anybody that's not involved in this sort of ministry up front either aspires to be involved in this sort of ministry and wants it, in, in, or... But the reality is, in, in your day-to-day -day work, you're very aware of how things fit together, all the processes work, horizontal relationships build, build networks, how you get things done, uh, how things happen how strategies get built, how uh, action plans come to pass, how tasks get done. And you're very aware of that, and you're very aware at the end of it that there's a paycheck each month, and you've got a holiday entitlement, and sickness benefits, and all the rest of it. And what that produces is just as dangerous as what I described for the clergy, because what it produces is a focus on the activities. And it's really easy to lose touch when you're focused on that horizontal dimension with the vertical, the connection with God. And what that produces is it produces a, a behaviour patterns which we see in the church right across the UK, which is church is this place you come to in order to get refreshed, to cope with the rest of your life. Church is the place you come to to get prayed for in order to be able to get you through and survive the rest of the week. And, and we always come into church to get something for us to bless the rest of our week instead of looking at what we do here as all part of the same thing. This is, this is no more spiritual than the rest of the week, potentially. In reality, it is, because for the rest of the week, we're not focused on the vertical. And yet, when we get focused on the vertical, we can come with all sorts of things, either, oh, you know, or, and, we, and it produces really dysfunctional behaviour, like, oh, I'm, I'm just so tired after work this week, I can't go to church. And, oh, I couldn't possibly do anything because... Uh, you know, I can't, I can't give because I've got all these, these obligations and these things and these. And, and we, we separate all these things out in our mind when actually Christ died for the whole of our life. 
Are you still with me? Okay, right. Let's crack on from this. Because the truth is that both that vertical dimension and that horizontal dimension need to be reintegrated for the church to do its job, for faith life to do what our calling is and all the members of faith life to do what the calling is. And the good news is you don't have to qualify as clergy to do that. Okay? You don't have to stand here to be valued and valuable. But what we have to do is understand that our lives are an act of worship, whether it's on a Sunday morning or the rest of the week. So where, where, how do we get this way of thinking? Well, I'll just make a statement, and so it might surprise a few people, but the words clear, clergy and laity are not in the Bible. They're not there. You won't find them. They're just not there. They don't exist in the Bible. It's, it's like a misbelief. And, and they came from the fact that the, when the Bible was originally translated into languages that we understood, they were inserted those translations of other things because the church structure and the church way of thinking and that separation was already in existence called the monastic lifestyle, where people would separate themselves from the world to become more spiritual. And we wonder why we have the dark ages. Because we're meant to be in the world to bring the spiritual to bear in the world. That's how the kingdom grows. That's how the, the Christ saves people. The, the, the light belongs in the darkness. Light doesn't hide itself away behind walls and separate itself. Light belongs in the darkness. And so for the church to do its job... We, 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 we don't have that separation. And then we get in other things because some of us, you know, just because, I'll say this up front, just because something is abused by some people doesn't make it wrong. Okay? But for a long time, I... My understanding and why I felt it was really difficult to connect with church and, and, and the church way of doing things as a businessman was this, that I had understood from what had been said that my role was to earn the money to pay for the vision of the guy at the front. I want to set you free from that this morning. You are not paying for my vision. If, if that enters your head, don't give. Because we give to God, not the man at the front. It's not your role to earn money so I can do the vision. What is the vision? The vision is the kingdom. We give because we all play our part as a family to bring about the kingdom in reaching others. That's why we give. And hopefully we, we, we get to be more and more effective at it. Let me, let me look at something for you. Ephesians chapter 4. I um, met somebody this week that um, I hadn't... He's a minister, a Church of England minister. I haven't met him since. 
long before I stopped bidding in, in involved full-time in business. And it really threw me back into that sort of mentality where I felt like a really second-class citizen, that, that I hadn't... Because, um, you know, some ministers have words that, and ways of saying things that make you feel bad, even when you know you haven't done anything wrong, you know. <laughs> and, it, and it was like that, and I just felt quite small again. And it was really interesting to see how we have built that mentality into the church. You see, we're all in this together. <laughs> we're all on a mission together, and we've all got to play our part. And, and the mission is 24-7. The mission... Sunday mornings are really important because we don't have another opportunity where we all get together and build relationship and share and, and worship together. And something, some things happen corporately that are not possible individually. That's why it's really important we're here each week and, 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 and build corporately because there is an anointing of the Holy Spirit that is corporate as well as individual anointings. But this isn't... This isn't the highlight, it's just part of what we do as our mission as a body. And our mission is 24-7 lives sold out for Christ. And we'll only sell our lives out for Christ if we understand that those lives are an act of worship and what we do on a Monday morning and a Wednesday afternoon is an act of worship. Because it changes the way we'll do it. So Ephesians chapter 4. Let me show you this. Uh, Familiar verses. Christ gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, and some as teachers for the equipping of the saints. So, who are the saints? Okay, let me explain. You're all the saints. So, I'm going to ask that question again, and you'll put your hand up. Who are the saints? Okay, you're a saint because Christ died for your sins, so you were made perfect in Christ. You're a saint. That's what the Bible calls you in the New Testament, saints. So, equipping of everyone for, sorry, I've lost, I've lost my page, um, for the equipping of the saints for the works of service. My version says service. Some versions say ministry. Um, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of stature and fullness of Christ. So basically what that's saying is that God gives some people to serve the rest of the kingdom, to build that kingdom, those individuals up in the kingdom, so that they can do the works of ministry or works of service. Okay, so that's, that's the nearest you get to this division. Now, that's not a status symbol. It, it's a calling that that's that person's job. It's not that they're more spiritual, it's that they've been gifted to do that, to teach, that's my gifting, to uh, pastor, that's Cheryl's gifting, and, and so on. But... That gifting is service to everybody else. It's below, not above. Now, that might upset a few ministers, but actually, our job is to serve everybody else. That's our primary calling, to be servants. 
That, that word works of service, the word service is diokonia. That's Greek. I just thought I'd show you that there is an ounce of learning in there somewhere. <laughs> um, diokonia means service, doing your job, helping others. So the point's this, that when you serve someone, you are doing the work of ministry or the work of service. Because we're called to be servants. The problem is that the church somewhere in the past inserted some walls around that thing called works of service or works of ministry and said, that must mean the guys at the front when they're doing their ministry. Because we don't see things like the people in the Bible saw them because we've got 2,000 years of church history behind us. And, and works of service, what Paul, what, Paul, what Paul is saying is that God's given people gifts to serve the body so that the body can serve those outside so that they can see the servant Christ, the servant saviour, and turn to him. It's not meant to be in here a defined function that you're allowed to serve communion. The works of service do, are unlimited and without walls. You do them in your workplace because you are 24-7 worshipping God in God's presence where you are. And the design is that you are a servant to their, that in that place to bring about the kingdom into manifestation in that place. Not a servant of the kingdom, but a servant of everybody else who you work with so that they can see Christ who has the servant heart. And you bring that into that place. You see, the truth is that, that and this is what we need to be told over and over again, you have Christ within you. There is no like second class measure of Christ, no second class measure of the Holy Spirit, no second uh, class uh, new birth. Everybody gets a perfect new birth. There are no birth defects in the kingdom of heaven. Everybody has the same spirit of Christ within them. We all have the same potential to make a difference exactly where we are. It's just that where I am, I get to talk on a Sunday morning. Where you are, you get to talk to other people on a Wednesday afternoon. I'll let you dwell on that. See, somehow we, 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 we've created, I, I, it didn't occur to me, I heard somebody else say this, that we like have a caste system. Do you know what caste systems are in, in India and, and, and some countries where there are uh, important people and there are lesser beings and then there's untouchables and people that you don't go anywhere near, you know, castes. And, and you can't mix across castes. There's no relationship across castes. And, and we, we've kind of done that in the body of Christ. We have the superstar ministers. Baffles me, that concept. I've really struggled with this over the last two or three months, this idea of the superstar minister with the big ministry. Not the person themselves is what I'm struggling with because I, I know quite a number of people and they're fantastic people. I'm struggling with the concept because... Surely, 
what we should see and acknowledge is the superstar ministry is the one that looks most like the servant of everybody else. Not the one with the biggest platform. And, and somehow we've got this bit wrong in the way we think. So we, 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 we go to, I don't know, we, we, we'll go along to things and it's almost like we've got superstar ministers like the world has pop stars. And we're going along to hear the person instead of encounter the Christ in the person. And, it, and it's a funny way of thinking we've got in. Because no child of God is any more valuable than any other child of God. And the way we demonstrate our value and our understanding of how much we're loved is to serve others and love them the way Christ loved them. So how do we get past this cassis and this sort of ladder where mission, the, 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 yeah, you have this ladder, don't you? I bet, I bet you do, even though I'm telling you it's wrong. I bet you're still sat there with this ladder and right at the top is the guy who is the missionary to outer Mongolia or something like that. Or they, they, they've, they've sold everything and gone and lived in Iran in order to reach some sort of outcast population there. And they're right at the top. And, and then just below them, there's, there's, there's people who go off on uh, missionary trips. And then below them, there's the, there's the pastors and the conference speakers. And then below them, there's the other people, there's the worship leaders. And there's the prophets. And then right down at the bottom, somewhere at subhuman sort of dungeon level, is the people who work. <laughs> and all this top of the ladder is only 1% of the body of Christ. In, point, in fact, 0.7% of the body of Christ. And everybody else is down in the dungeon. And, and we, we've got that. Now, why do we have that? We have this because the way we are taught and the way we understand things isn't the way the Bible was written because we are taught from a Greek way of learning. And all this understanding actually comes from pagan philosophy. It doesn't come from the Bible at all. So all these divisions that we've created in this caste and this ladder and all the rest of it comes from paganism because it comes from a guy called Plato. And Plato introduced this concept to the world which everybody's adopted because it sounded great and very religious, and it enabled the church to have power and control people and, and all the rest of it, and it called it dualism. Basically, dualism's this. There's two levels. There's something called eternal ideas, and they're high and important and everlasting. And then there's other stuff, which is everyday stuff, that he called, what did he call it, uh, which is temporal, physical, and inferior, and he called it, now we've got this word now, matter. Plato brought that word in. Everything you can see, touch, feel is worthless, and the only thing that matters is this higher ideas, higher ideals, higher morals. And, and so if you aspired to those and you separated your life off to those, you had more value than those who just dealt with all this matter, everyday issues. And we imported that because we said, we, we attached some words to it in church thinking, which is saying exactly the same as Plato did in his thinking. We have 
these eternal ideas, we call them sacred. And we call that prayer meetings and Bible studies and church on a Sunday morning and uh, going off on retreats. And that's all sacred. And then we have secular that's lesser. And every time we read the word of God, we import that into the word of God. But it's not there. It's not in there at all. Some of you are looking shocked and some of you are looking like confused. And some of you are going, man, I've never heard this before. It's not in there. Why is it not in there? Well, surprisingly, because the Bible was written by Hebrews. And Hebrews don't think like that because they were trained by God, not by Plato. That's a good thing, isn't it? Because Plato's dead and God isn't. And Hebrews were taught a way of thinking. And so they didn't have this sacred is good, secular is bad. See, the way the Hebrews think, the way Jews still think, is everything is God's. So it's all good because it's his. He owns everything. It all belongs to him. He's in charge of anything. He can do with it what he wants. And it's whole. God is interested, involved, relating to you in every part of your life, in everything you do, in every business transaction you undertake. That's partly why the Jews are so successful at business, because they understand that God sees the whole of their life as one. And he doesn't make that distinction. There's no more value on church than business or business than church. They're not divided. Everything for a Hebrew is sacred. If it's used properly. So what makes something good to God? What makes something good and what makes something bad? What makes what I do good or what I do bad or what you do on a Wednesday afternoon good or bad? It's not that it's sacred or secular. It's not, oh, I need to feel guilty because at Wednesday afternoon, 3.23 p.m., I didn't pray. Well, you wouldn't pray because you're having a crisis at work. What makes that crisis good to God? What makes it good to God when if you're like a, a programmer and you found a bug that you can't fix at 4.45 on a Friday afternoon and you want to go home, what makes, your, what makes it good to God or bad to God what makes, whether you earn pots of money or not a lot of money, what makes it good to God or bad to God? I told you the answer right at the start. As far as God is concerned, and as far as the Hebrews concerned, who told us this, the only thing that makes something for God or not for God, is, is it done for his glory as an act of worship? 
If you're fixing a bug at 4.45 in your programme on a Friday afternoon, is the way you approach it done for God's glory with that attitude or is it done in a way that would be unhelpful to people to see God, put it that way, and may involve words that people wouldn't use. You know, everything we do is good if it's for God's glory. And as believers, 24-7, God says, lay down your lives as an act of worship for my glory. Because that's the reasonable way to respond to what I did for you. And when we think like that, suddenly work, business, career, study, everything looks different. Because it's not about the crisis, it's not about the pay packet, it's not about the stress, it's not about the hours, it's about the glory of God. And that attitude follows through in all we do.